This is On Target, a look at politics, crime, education, what's happening in Newfoundland and Labrador with the people who know. The views and opinions expressed on this program are not necessarily those of this station. And now your On Target host, Linda Swain. And good afternoon, everyone. Um hi (laughs) i'm back (laughs) well there comes word today of another disturbing incident involving a picture taken of a senior in a long-term care setting without their consent this time the incident is uh, reportedly in the western health region barry petten of the opposition pc party addressed uh, reporters just a short while ago it follows word from central health that up to seven families or residents have been contacted by central health following a similar situation at the bay long-term care home in September. Well, last week, seniors advocate Susan Walsh reiterated her call for a review of personal care and long-term care homes in the province. It was one of a number of recommendations made in 2019 in a report titled Long May Your Big Jib Draw Setting Sail, which called for a significant review of the province's personal care and long-term care homes. That was before the pandemic and the known impacts of the resulting spread of the virus, isolation measures, and, of course, the labor crunch. Well, that's just one of a number of pressing issues facing seniors in Newfoundland and Labrador today, not the least of which is the rising cost of living. My guest today on On Target is seniors advocate Susan Walsh. Hello. Hi, how are you? Great. So you've hit the ground running since taking over in June. (laughs) I have. So tell us a little bit about what you've been working on since you started in June. So um, when I first came into the position, I I really wanted to reach out through the media to basically let seniors know who I am and that I'm here. The position had been left vacant for a year, a little over a year, and so I really felt it important to get out there quickly and uh, be clear on the priorities of this office. And so I did that on day two, and then subsequent to that, I wrote all of the ministers of government who had responsibility for the recommendations in the 2019 report from our office and asked for an update. I then met with all those ministers. Um, And we did receive back the uh, responses from the departments, and you will see imminently my office will be releasing a report that outlines the status of those recommendations. Uh, so that's one piece of work. We we have been hearing from seniors and from senior organizations, you know, one more report that sits on a shelf, and, and they're, they're frustrated, and they're rightfully frustrated. And so I really wanted to make sure we got that out quickly in order to be able to say, nope, we've got a response. We know where we are and where we need to continue to put the pressure. The second thing that, uh, you know, I really felt was important is get out and hear from seniors and from seniors' organizations. I've met with many, many seniors' organizations, and I've been all over Central, uh, Clarenville, uh, Marystown, Grand Bank, St. John's, and we're not done yet. We're heading to Labrador and out to the West Coast, really, really wanting to hear from seniors uh, and their family members and those that work with them. And we actually have two virtual sessions coming up uh, shortly. Uh, The first one actually is coming up on November the 1st, and it will be a virtual online session, and there will be ASL for folks who uh, would like that service and need it, and um, it's on November 1st at 
7 o'clock and you can get information about that on our website but you do have to register in advance so you can register at nlseniorsadvocateonlinesession.ca so it's been it's been busy that's a few things we've been doing and I'll get you to report, repeat some of that before the end of the show so people have their pens and that ready. Um, so you, you mentioned that you have a report imminent on the status of the recommendations made in that 2019 report. When we, can we expect to hear more? Next week. Is that right? Correct. Ooh, maybe we should have booked you for next week. <laughs> well, we may do that ju- again, just <laughs> just so everybody is fully informed. So uh, I want to... Um, Happy to do so, Linda. Oh, great. Um, I wanted to talk to you a little bit, uh, starting with this, this um, recommendation that was made of uh, a review of personal care and long-term care homes. That hasn't happened yet. You reiterated that call last week. Why? Because nothing has significantly changed. You know, the, the stories were the horrifying stories that we're hearing in the media um, are just, you know, they're gut-wrenching. But you only need to come to one of my uh, engagement sessions and you're hearing very similar type stories. Family members who are, who are saying, you know, the care their loved one's receiving, the oversight that, you know, is lacking. Uh, and, and, you know, it's interesting because all family members, are, or most of them, are saying, look, people are trying, the staff are trying in many circumstances, but there's just not the resources there, and the structure is not receiving the oversight that it requires. And so, you know, I felt it really important uh, to reach out to the Department of Health and Community Services about that, and then I subsequently wrote them because I, I, I just felt that this really needs a, a, a urgent and and a timely response, immediate, really, response. And truthfully, um, you know, back in 2019, this recommendation was made. We knew back then that the, you know, the province's personal care and long-term care systems needed a significant review to determine what are all the issues and how do we fix them. Well, uh, I mean, it's such an important part of our healthcare system, isn't it? And I mean, uh, at some point in our lives or another, we will come to all of us come to rely on it, whether it's ourselves or a loved one. Um, and it's such a helpless, frustrating feeling for a family member to know that a treasured member of their family who has provided them care and support over the years is now left in this kind of position where you you sort of have to hand that care and support over to someone else and trust that they're getting what they need only to see that in some cases they're not no and and you're so right and you know when you listen to what some of these seniors and and their families have gone through uh you know seniors who are not receiving the the physical care they require you know the uh, medical assistance they require it's it's just not right and uh and you know we heard all this three years ago and here we are today still hearing it, people shouldn't be surprised. If anything, it's probably gotten worse. And so, you know, I'm very encouraged uh, that uh, the minister, uh, you know, Minister Osborne is uh, making some level of a commitment around doing a review uh, related to long-term care. I am very hopeful 
that's the recommendation we made then, and I have made now, so back in 2019 and again uh, now, the review needs to consider the personal care home and long-term care home system. It's a continuum. It's an absolute continuum. And, you know, if you look at uh, some of the things inside of the health accord and where the health system wants to go in terms of uh, people aging at home and aging well and that the structure can support um, them to have a brief break and maybe go into personal care home when necessary and return back home and, you know, that the whole continuum and works well, well, you can't build a house on a faulty, um, uh, you know, base, right? I mean, you have to have your structure well to build on, and there's no possible way to build up the personal care and and, uh, long-term care systems without doing that full investigation, not just of patient, uh, you know, patients pleased with the service and what their issues are. That's important. But the structure, the staffing ratio, the the way the oversight is being done. Are there actual drop-ins where, you know, no one knows that a social worker is coming to keep an eye on these things? It's done in many other systems. It can be done in this system. Our guest today on On Target is Seniors Advocate Susan Walsh. Uh, We are talking about a myriad of situations um, that are facing seniors in Newfoundland and Labrador. We'll be back right after this. Join us for On Target, one hour in which Linda Swain examines topics that mean the most to you. On Target, weekday afternoons at 1 on your VOCM. And our guest today is Seniors Advocate Susan Walsh. And uh, uh, Susan, um, you've been doing some of these engagement sessions. Uh, what are you learning about the issues that are facing long-term care settings? Um, it, you know, it tends to fall under three main areas, really. One is related to the structure, that there's clearly some concern around, um, you know, you have... Uh, patients who are on the same units uh, who may have different needs, for example, uh, someone with uh, you know behaviors associated with dementia um, might be on the unit with somebody who um, is also uh, you know uh, not ambulatory, and so th- this person then is at risk. The non-ambulatory could person could be at risk, and we are hearing about seniors being physically and sexually abused. Um, we're also hearing that. Um, you know, while there obviously isn't enough staff, the actual oversight of the staff and and the um, structure of how those situations are set up uh, seems to not, it needs some attention. We're also hearing that um, the uh, particular issues around the care of seniors, so for example, trays are being brought in and they're being left um, and the person might not be able to feed themselves. And then the tray's taken away, and, and no one really picked up on the fact that, well, you know, the senior didn't get anything to eat today. Or they can't uh, get bathed on their particular bathe day uh, for any particular reason, or, or they won't. I mean, you know, there's issues related to, to cognitive uh, challenges as well. And uh, then they may have to wait days and days or a week uh, before they can get another bath left in a tens for long periods of time. Uh, it just, you know, it just goes on and on. And then the third area is really related to the staffing. And I mean, you know, I have tried to be very clear that like any profession, there are people who are in certain professions that don't or shouldn't 
shouldn't be there, right? It's not their calling. They should not be there. But there's also lots of really good people who are trying their best under difficult circumstances without the resources, so they're carrying more than one load. And, you know, the staffing ratios right now are not meeting the need. And we don't know what the staffing ratio really should be because, you know, have we, we haven't done that, that analysis and evaluation I'm asking for to determine what's the acuity in these, in these uh, personal care and long-term care uh, environments currently because I'm hearing it's increased. And I'm also anticipating it's going to increase, and I believe that's the plan when you look at the health accord. The plan is to increase the acuity at every stage so people stay home longer, they stay in personal care longer, and then they move on to uh, long-term care, you know, at the very end, uh, you know, of, of the level of acuity. So really understanding what those levels uh, are and what the um, – uh, staffing ratios that are going to be required to go with it is important. So, which is why when I hear that the, the Department of Health and Community Services may be separating out a review around models from the review I'm asking for, I, I can't support that. Like, I truly believe this is all one big piece that needs a full review. You struck a nerve with me then when you mentioned the trays. And when you think about people who are in uh, either personal care homes or long-term care homes, ostensibly they're there because they have families who have busy lives and cannot take the time off to care for them at all times. So they're put in a personal care home or a long-term care home to have those needs met. So this idea of bringing a tray in, for instance, and I've seen it. I've seen it happen. I've seen it happen time and again, and I've been shocked by it actually, a tray being brought in with lunch on it, nowhere near the patient. The patient is unable to get to it, and it's taken out again. And if there's nobody there to feed them, I've fed strangers um, while visiting with loved ones. It, it's quite shocking to me that this is something that hasn't been addressed. Absolutely. It's, it's alarming. I mean, truthfully, you know, you hear families get up and talk about it. And I mean, I had, I had my, my mother-in-law was in long-term care and passed away in long-term care with dementia. And I can tell you, I mean, you, you, if it's not for a family, and this is what family members, when they talk about it, they say, you know, thank God I can do for my mom or my dad or whomever. Uh, but the poor lady down the hall who doesn't have anyone, and I know she's not getting, you know, like they feel, you know, they feel bad for their own, but they're feeling worse for, for those other people. And Linda, I spent myself a, a couple of days in, um, in Emerge just a couple of weeks ago. Well, not even a couple now, uh, 10 or 11 days ago, and uh, the number of seniors in the emergency system, uh, not just in rooms, but in hallways, etc., and the same thing happening, it's the continuum. It's the full continuum. So it comes down, I would imagine, in some cases, to staffing levels. And we've been talking a lot in uh, in the news lately about uh, nursing vacancies and how nursing vacancies in long-term care has this cascading effect down right down through the system, which is why we see sometimes seniors uh, being left in hallways for days at a time after arriving in eMERGE because there's no place for them. There's no place for them in the hospital. There's no place for them in long-term care because there's no beds available because the staff isn't there. So how does that get addressed? No, that's absolutely right. And that's why, you know, we have these alternate level of care beds that, uh, you know, the whole health care system is, I guess, keeping an eye to around how many seniors are actually taking up acute care and or emergency beds because they can't get into um, 
long-term care or some other appropriate um, residential option. And, you know, the the impact to seniors in those beds is significant, right? They're not getting up and moving around to the degree they need to. They're not getting the services they require and the stimulation. Truthfully, they're losing capacity and functionality uh, at a degree that's so unfair. And so you're right. It, it is. It is sta- much of it is a staffing issue. Some of it is a structural system issue. How how the system set up the levels of care in each of the systems. I do believe that partly the models of care need to be considered. But you need to know what's happening in the system and and you know really review and analyze the issues in order to to make recommendations on that. And I know your predecessor was a big uh, advocate for um, aging in place. And the ideal, I would imagine, is to uh, allow a a person to live as long as possible in their own setting, in their own home, in a place where they're comfortable and they're familiar and just with the things around them and the family around them. Um, Is that happening less? Because we keep hearing, you know, governments tout, you know, oh, another long-term care uh, facility has been built here, and I do understand that there is a need for that as well. But should the focus be on aging in place? Oh, I absolutely support the concept of aging in place. And um, But I, I like to, uh, as well, focus on age-friendly communities connected. So the health system will talk about home first. And these are all components kind of a, of a big picture. We have to ensure um, that the resources to be able to age in your home, because I agree that's what most seniors want. And as I go out and do my consultations, one of my questions is, can you put up your hands, anybody here who um, doesn't want to age in your own home? And most times I get no one, and sometimes I'll get someone who'll say, well, my house is not really fit for me, you know, it's two-story, whatever, I, like I'd like to get into a cottage or I'd like to get into a different residence, uh, you know, residential kind of option, but it's still community-based. And, of course, that's what we all want. Who, who doesn't want that as we age? Uh, but you have to, the system has to ensure that the resources are there not just for the person to be able to live at home. They have to be able to access their community. They have to be able to be engaged in their community. So age-friendly communities looks at eight domains of what it takes to age well in a a community whereby you can age in your home, but you can have access to your community, to civic events, to be a full participant. And that takes responsibility of municipal governments, of provincial governments, and in some cases federal government, as well as, you know, volunteers, family members. Like we all have a role to play in there. And if that's working well, then we don't have the ageism that, you know, we sometimes see in our society. Our guest today on On Target is seniors advocate Susan Walsh. We'll be back right after this. Got plans for midnight? Bring your VOCM along with the best soundtrack for every night, anywhere. The VOCM All Night Show, midnight on your VOCM. And we're back. Our guest today on On Target is Seniors Advocate Susan Walsh. And uh, Susan, we've been talking about uh, long-term care of... system in Newfoundland and Labrador and your reiteration for a call for a full review into that but uh, I think one of the more pressing issues that are facing all Newfoundlanders and Labradorians but seniors in particular is the rising cost of living. 
Uh, absolutely. Um, Linda, before I move there, can I just, I'd like to go back for 30 seconds to, we were talking about age-friendly communities, and uh, I, I try um, to be as balanced as I can in my analysis, uh, so I, I, I want to say, um, you know, I am pleased to see from an age-friendly community's perspective that um, the Department of Children, Senior Social Development, the Department of Health and Community Services, and the Department of Municipal Affairs, I'm probably getting the exact title wrong, but those three ministers have committed to working collaboratively on the issue of age-friendly communities. And I've met with each, and they're all very engaged in that. And I've, as I go out on my public engagement sessions, I've been meeting with the mayors in uh, many of the communities that I uh, you know that I go to, and they've all been very engaged in the concept of how do we ensure that our seniors are supported and engaged. And so I know that there's a real interest on their part as well. So I think I think that dialogue is moving forward. And yeah, we got a ways to go, but uh, but there's a commitment to get there. So I'm pleased to see that. Now, as it relates to the financial situation, you know that is an area that uh, through the engagement sessions, um, I I it is an area we've been focused. On and you know people are struggling. There's no two ways about that. They're struggling on fixed incomes. I mean, seniors are, are not a group that tend to be able to you know make money in another way. I mean, they're either on a pension, and I understand from the Public Pensioners Association the average pension is twenty-two thousand dollars a year, which is shocking. It's just above the poverty line. Um, but we got lots of seniors who are not on pension. They're on you know federal benefits, uh, you know OAS, GIS. And uh, we know that lots of times people will say, oh, you know, seniors are doing okay. They, they've got those federal programs. The, the provincial government chips in with the low-income seniors benefit and the NL income supplement. But seniors are just above the poverty line when they're on those programs. I mean, just above. And I, I you know, could be a few hundred dollars. It's not, you know, and then they've got all their health care costs from, you know, any kind of medication, uh, transportation. I mean, some of the costs costs that seniors are incurring outside the overpass to to um, to have to access services in St. John's are significant. The transportation program uh, isn't fulfilling fully the cost of all of that, and uh, there's concerns because a lot of it has to be paid up front. You want to get a portion back, all of that. One of the areas that I'm really surprised by, frankly, is I was glad to see the government came out with the heating supplement program. And, you know, very nice for the one-time cost of living as well. I was, I'm really interested in understanding what the policy intention there was when they set the, um, the bar. You know, if you earn um, a, a, a family income of 150000 you can get between 200 and $500. For, for the heating supplement, and on an individual basis, if you make under $100,000 a year, you can get 500, and somewhere between 100 and 125,000 a year, you can get somewhere between 250 and 500. So, I mean, technically, that's an individual income. I mean, you could have people with two incomes of 100,000 each, and they're still getting money out of that. I, I live in the same home, maybe three if there's an adult child or more. I, I just, I don't understand the policy rationale. I would have expected, I like the concept of sliding scale. I think that's good policy approach uh, to program development, but I don't understand why the, the threshold wasn't made lower. Uh, it would have benefited not just seniors, certainly, but as well, uh, you know, low-income people who are living in low-income. 
You mentioned the poverty line. And you mentioned that the average pension, according to the Pensioners Association, is $22,000, which is just above the poverty line. But I challenge anyone to try and live on $22,000 a year uh, without the supports that come with living under the poverty line, which really seems to be an arbitrary number, if you know what I'm saying. Has that adjusted any, or should it be adjusted, the, the so-called poverty line, uh, to reflect, I guess, uh, the realities? of what everybody is facing right now? Uh, my understanding is that that is reviewed on an annual basis the, the, and set, the, the poverty line. But, of course, it's always a, a little bit in arrears is my understanding. So, you know, some of the current costs as it relates to, um, you know, the oil and gas and, you know, uh, the cost of food as sub, you know, subsequent to all of that, I don't know that that's been picked up. Perhaps that will be reflected then next year. Um, at the end of the day, it's it's uh, you're exactly right. I mean, it it is challenging to live on that kind of income. And then imagine, I mean, we're lucky in this province in some ways that uh, we have the highest rate of home ownership in the country, uh, which is good because I can't imagine trying to pay rent on that kind of, uh, you know, uh, income per year. Um, But then homes are getting older and they need repairs. They need upgrades. um, And you might need services inside the home. You can no longer have your bedroom upstairs because you can't do stairs. And all of that then becomes a challenge. We know that seniors uh, have, are the ones with the greatest uptake of Newfoundland Labrador Housing's um, home repair program, but it, it's never enough, and uh, there's always people on the wait list. So it's, it, there are challenges, for sure. And there are a higher number of seniors carrying debt and mortgages. Into retirement. You are exactly right. And that is absolutely correct. And that that's only going to get worse with time. And, you know, the low-income seniors benefit and the NL income supplement, I know they were increased by 10% this year. But, you know, I do wonder, uh, they're not keeping pace with inflation. And that's that's an area which I think would be really great if, as a province, we could move to um, our benefits keeping pace with inflation. For certain, uh, not to mention um, the cost of drugs and everything else that comes with, uh, you know, the usual process of aging. But now, just the same, uh, a growing number of people are living very healthy lives well into their 80s, 90s, and even further. The number of centenarians, for instance, who are still living on their own is, is growing all the time, which is great to hear. But are they living comfortably? Are they having to make those difficult decisions? of living in a room and and heating that room and keeping the rest of the house empty or making a decision between their drugs this week or their groceries? And that's a very good question. I mean, I think that it's wonderful that, uh, you know, we are seeing seniors live longer. We are seeing seniors, um, many seniors who have, uh, you know, good buying power. And uh, I, I like to say, I'm always saying, uh, you know, seniors vote and they have buying power. And so, you know, the community, business community um, should step up, much like has happened with uh, in Clarenville, where you have a number of community businesses who have now been who've now uh, uh, received their age-friendly business designation I'd love to see that everywhere in the province and I think that will bode well for them 
as seniors pick where they want to shop. Uh, and once you, as Age Friendly Community says, once you meet the need of senior, you're meeting the need of many in the community, people with disabilities, people who are pushing strollers, all the stuff that is important. Um, I think that it would be wonderful if we could consider um, what are the financial needs of seniors and how do we meet them. And so one of the things that I was pleased to participate in recently was the Department of CSSD's uh, public engagement related to the Social and Economic Wellbeing Plan. And I know that department, you know, as part of that is considering all the services, including basic income. And I think there had been some misunderstanding, and I don't mean in the department, I just mean generally. I think there's a general belief out there that seniors are doing okay. They would never need to be considered for basic income. But that is not just far from the truth, and I believe that if we're going to move forward as a province with basic income, then it should be basic income for all, and if you fall below it, it doesn't matter your age or your, uh, you know, ability or, or it's done by the fact of what your income is and that you need a boost to live in this province well. Our guest today on On Target is seniors advocate Susan Walsh. We'll be back right after this. Take a break. Join us weekdays from 1230 to 1 p.m. as we discuss anything and everything that's happening now. It's all on the table during your VOCM lunch break. Guest today is seniors advocate Susan Walsh. And Susan, I noticed that CanAge, a national seniors advocacy group, recently released a report showing experts warning about a massive influx of dementia patients that some warn will overwhelm the healthcare system in the coming years. It claims that less than half of doctors in Newfoundland and Labrador felt equipped to diagnose and provide care for dementia and concerns have been raised about the needed investments in the healthcare system. Is the province prepared? You know, this is an area where back in 2019, this office made a recommendation related to the um, dementia care plan. Uh, we called for the development and uh, implementation of a dementia care plan back in 2019. And the department did do consultations at that time. And it's my understanding have developed a uh, draft plan um, which uh, you know has not yet been implemented, but they also have uh, formed a Dementia Action Council. And so I'm pleased uh, to hear that the Action Council is actively meeting and is um, looking at that draft plan in order to finalize it. And in my, you know, obviously I, I'm not an expert in, uh, you know, dementia, um, but um, I have had lots of good discussion with um, the Alzheimer's Society of Newfoundland and Labrador, and uh, Shirley Lucas, who's the executive director there, who, you know, has uh, uh, certainly got the chops for this. She's been at it over 30 years. Um, you know, I, I hear that they're feeling very positive that this is going to move forward, um, and so I'm pleased with that. I hope that uh, the report will come out publicly and that we'll have timelines and an implementation plan. Because while the federal government has a dementia plan, uh, it does not, you know, it lacks a little bit on those uh, clear, you know, guidelines, uh, timelines, exactly what to do. So it doesn't really hold the provinces accountable uh, on the delivery aspect. So I'd really like to see that the provincial plan will be clear. 
As I mentioned off the top of the show, you've hit the ground running since uh, taking over the position in June, but there's been a big gap there. You said, you know, it was about a year when we didn't have a seniors advocate, and a lot of people applauded the move of uh, introducing a seniors advocate not that long ago, but do you find that you're playing a lot of catch-up now with that gap? I am. I mean, you know, it's it's so unfortunate what happened because, you know, Dr. Suzanne Brake, who was in the position, she was the first uh, seniors advocate, you know, really, uh, you know, set up the office, did some fabulous work with the staff here, moved forward, um, you know, a lot of very important issues. And if you think about it, everything that's coming home to roost, there's a recommendation from this office on. You know, we just talked about the Dementia Care Action Plan. We know, too, that we had a recommendation related to the need for gerontologists in this province and other professionals related to gerontology. Like, there were so many areas that this office, through the consultations with families, and I can't thank the families enough and the seniors who have come forward to talk to us and who've told their stories. And it's not easy to tell your story and live it all over again, but they've done it. And here they are now doing it again because there was such a gap for those years whereby the report came out and then the you know office was left vacant for over a year. Um, so yes, I am having to start a little bit from scratch to determine, okay, well, where are we now and how do we get things moving again? So right off the top, we'll start where we'll end off where we started, and that was where you've been holding these engagement sessions. Um, how can seniors and their families participate? So um, then I'll just say the next one, which is we'll have two virtual sessions. So you know, I only I only have the ability um, from. A, budget perspective, really, to get out to um, so many areas of the province, as much as I'd love to get everywhere. And so, uh, you know, we've been to Central and we've done Clarenville, Gander, Grand Falls. Um, I will be out in Western. I'll be doing Springdale, Deer Lake, Cornerbrook, Stephenville. I will be on to Labrador and uh, certainly Goose Bay, Lab West, and uh, up the coast uh, and Cheshire. Um, and there will be another one in Mount Pearl in, on, on November 24th. But in addition to that, we'll do two virtual sessions. And those sessions, the first one is November 1st. Uh, if you come to my website at uh, www.seniorsadvocatenl.ca, it's all there. So you'll see the public engagement sessions, the dates, how to join, where they are. Um, the the online session will have a both virtual sessions will have ASL available, and that's in partnership with uh, Seniors NL. And I, I can't tell you how much uh, for a little office. You know, we only have four staff and a very small operating budget. So partnerships with community is really important, and and I can't tell you the wonderful partnerships I I've, had, I've been able to uh, maintain and make uh, with so many community organizations. So if you go to my website, uh, you'll get the dates, and you will have to sign up for the online ones because we need to send out the link. Um, the other thing is, uh, Linda, we are also doing a survey. Uh, it's an online survey, and if folks would like to fill it out, I would be appreciative. And so when you go into the survey, if you're a senior, you answer one way. You know, there's certain questions asked. If you are a family member, it's a different uh, survey. And if you're a service provider, so we're like, we, we want to hear from all three. And the survey can be found either through my website or directly through NL seniorsadvocatesurvey.ca. Now, I'm very aware that not everyone has access to technology and not everyone, you know, 
can use it either. So if you call my office, we'll make sure we can either mail you a copy of the survey or we can help you fill it out over the phone. We'll do whatever we can to assist to get the voice of seniors. And I can't tell you, I mean, we are now uh, pushing upward of 100 calls a month in this office. I, we get so many calls. And while I can't do individual advocacy in this office, I don't have the legal authority through my act to do it, and actually don't have the resources either. Um, we do try to set you know people up with the services that are out there in community, but we also listen and and we pay attention to what we're hearing and we roll those issues up as as systemic issues as necessary. And that's really what pushed me over the edge to say, look, enough is enough. I've heard enough. We need to go out on on the long-term care and personal care home systems now. We can't wait any longer. So if people want to call your office, uh, where can they call? It's, uh, they can call 1-833, if, it's, if they're long distance, 729-6603. 1-833-729-6603. That's correct. Yeah. And, uh, and online, of course, they, all they have to do is uh, Google Seniors Advocate NL, and they should find your website and, uh, and the, um, the virtual sessions and the survey. Yes. Um, what do you think of the role so far? Are you enjoying what you're doing? I am passionate about it. I really am. I, I, I came from many years inside of government, and you know, I, I, I find that valuable because I understand the structure. I understand how government works. I understand how policies are created. I understand how legislation gets through the House of Assembly. Like I, I understand all that. I, I spent 31 years inside of government at every single level, literally, from social worker right up through to deputy minister. But this position is is an opportunity. I'm enjoying it significantly because I can speak out publicly in a different way uh, that I couldn't inside of government. And I really, truly feel the weight of making a difference, and I want to. And are you uh, making new connections and, and that sort of thing in, in the new role? Yes, so I, I've met with so many uh, organizations already, and, uh, you know, it's it's been wonderful. Uh, the 50-plus um, uh, across the province has been so inviting and, you know, have invited me in to do our public engagements, have offered the free space, have, you know, fed us on times, you know. It, it's been wonderful. Um, all the community organizations from uh, Connections for Seniors and Homelessness, Seniors uh, NL, uh, I, I just uh, tell a circle. Like I, I, I know I'll leave someone out. Like it's just been so wonderful. Uh, the Red Leaf Center out on the West Coast, the um, Nunatia the government. The like, I, it, there's been so many connections uh, that it, it's just it's it's fabulous because as I said, we're a very small office, and so I have two policy people who you know really. Um, with 100 calls a month, spend a lot of time on the phone. Um, so, you know, those partnerships to uh, to be able to reach into the community. I mean, the gathering place. We're doing a session at the gathering place on our engagement with with their with their clients, and they're they're facilitating it for us. Same thing. Stella Circle is facilitating a session for us there. Like, um, how else would you get the voice of seniors who, you know, are are more disadvantaged, unfortunately, than most of us? And I need those voices. I need to hear, and I'm so looking forward. So I, I value those relationships in a big way and uh, really 
really want to make sure that um, that I represent well and that I make a difference uh, for seniors in this province. And a number of government departments, I would imagine. Seniors, of course, the Department of Seniors, Children, Seniors and Social Development, uh, I would say health, um, finance. I am drawing on all my uh, personal and, and pr- uh, professional connections in those departments after working for, for so long in, in those departments. I know a lot of people, and I have to tell you, they've all been so good to me. I mean, if I call and say, I'd like to understand this policy, or I'd like you to give me an education on this matter so I understand why the department's going this route before I make you know some determination, they've been very open and willing. And, you know, I wrote the ministers and said, you know, I'm here, I'd love to have an opportunity to meet with you and I mean they all came back and said absolutely come in and let's sit down and so uh, you know it was a different role I knew them all uh, you know many of them anyway uh, from my previous job of course but uh, now establishing uh, myself in in a different role and it's been very respectable. Susan Walsh, it's been a pleasure, I must say. Uh, we'll No doubt we'll be speaking again very soon, and we look forward to hearing what your report has to say next week. I, I appreciate, Linda, the opportunity. I want to send a, a significant thank you out to all of the families who have shared their stories and, and helped inform good policy uh, recommendations out of this department, and there will be more. And when you get the report next week, you will see that this is going to become an annual feature. We are going to do a report card annually around where is government with responding to recommendations to improve services for seniors. Really appreciate your time this afternoon. Thank you very much. Thank you. Bye-bye. And we'll be back tomorrow. We're going to talk tourism uh, because the season is winding down, that shoulder season that we like to talk about. And what a fabulous October we've had, haven't we, Dave? Lots of time spent outside enjoying the warmer weather. Uh, We'll be back tomorrow. Stay tuned for that. Thanks for listening, everyone.